Welcome to Farm Discipleship. This week, we talked to an old friend of ours, Kyle Childress. Kyle has been the pastor of Austin Heights Baptist Church in the Piney Woods of Nacogdoches, Texas since 1989. Highly committed to racial reconciliation, he founded the community-wide annual Martin Luther King Commemoration Service in 1991, and he is the first white member of a historically African-American ministerial alliance. Kyle was also the founding president of the East Texas AIDS Project in 1991, which is now called Health Horizons, and the founding president of the Nacogdoches affiliate of Habitat for Humanity, which began in 1994. Kyle spends as much time as he can on his porch, having conversations with friends and church members. He enjoys reading and considers his mentors to be writers Wendell Berry, Will Campbell, and Stanley Hauerwas. Kyle is co-author of Will Campbell, Preacher Man, Essays in the Spirit of a Divine Provocateur. Kyle is married to Jane, and their daughters are Emily and Callie. As you listen to this interview, we hope you'll hear the following things. Number one, gardens change people and communities. Kyle offers several examples of this, both practically and theologically. Number two, Kyle talks about how Wendell Berry has shaped his ministry, especially helping him see that a good minister, like a good farmer, pays attention to the particulars of one place and grows good topsoil for deep roots. And finally, churches have a clear role in connecting people to their local food systems. Kyle shares how his church helped start the farmer's market in their town and how his church's responses to natural disasters and activism have revolved around food. Have a listen. Thanks for joining us on the farm. I mentioned this movie earlier, Hell or High Water with Jeff Bridges. It was nominated for Academy Award Best Picture. Best Actor. Um, Chris Pine is in it. And it is, uh, as I said, a western about bank robbers. And a beautiful movie. Um, a, a really good movie. But all of these West Texas towns that I grew up in yeah. uh -huh. are mentioned in it uh -huh. and referred to somehow or another. Their banks get robbed. Uh -huh. Yeah, or their banks get robbed. Huh. Yeah, recommend it. Yeah, it's really good. Movie. Um, we watched um, Places in the Heart the other night again. Oh, yeah, that's good. Watch Hatching. And um, and there was the practice of you know they had their plates upside down at the dinner table. Right. And, the, and, and said you know turn your turn your plate over, possum. And it's like why did they why would they why they have their plates upside down? Of course, with the dust, yep. perhaps from the dust bowl, mm -hmm. which we went to a concert the other night, which was uh, a good friend of Harry Wooten's, a good young friend who came to, da when it came to Dallas, I think he's a William Jewell alum, so maybe that's how he knew Harry, 
but he has started this choral group uh, that is doing some real creative things, and they're doing a, a, a did a uh, musical interpretation, choral musical interpretation of journals and anecdotes, and you know, just kind of did a lot of research and put the story to very to music. It was, it was very interesting. There was another book. Thank you. I think it won the Pulitzer also for history about 15 years ago called The Worst Hard Time. Uh -huh. It's about the Dust Bowl. Dalhart, yeah. Texas is sort of the epicenter of what it talks about. Uh -huh. yeah. The Alamo, uh -huh. <clears throat> is, they mentioned Nacogdoches. And John Wayne liked the sound of Nacogdoches, so he used to use it. And then in Big J. He starts a fight in a, in a saloon with a giant of a man as a distraction. And he go, and, and in the middle, and when he finds out that what they wanted to accomplish was done, he stops the guy before the guy clubs him over the head. He says, wait, have you ever been to Nacogdoches? No. And the guy says, Nacogdoches? No. And John Wayne just says, oh, excuse me, I'm sorry. Walks away. <laughs> <laughs> Just like saying Nacogdoches. <laughs> well, Cobb, do you remember any? I mean, speaking of the Dust Bowl, any of your kinfo, any of your ancestors, your grandparents that talked about it? Mm. Um. Well, there was the Dust Bowl of the 30s, mm -hmm. and then there was a uh, big Texas drought of the 50s. Fifty, the big drought. Right. But that was similar right. in oh, that. Right. Now, the difference is they had learned the hard way to uh, take care of the land a little better. Not right. much, but... Right. Uh, the terracing. Dad remembers, and this would have been in the 50s, early 50s, he remembers dust blowing so badly that it would uh, pit the windshield glass wow. and it would dull the paint job on your car. Wow. And then my grandfather remembers that in the Dust Bowl, when it was really bad, if you went up, uh, you, you tried not to shake hands with people because the static, static electricity oh my was so bad that it would knock you down. Wow. <laughs> so yeah. you didn't shake hands. Yeah. Yeah, and they say some some folks would drag chains on their car so they would be grounded. So that if they did, I mean they were grounded in the car because they were dragging a chain behind them. After the ground because it felt like electricity was so bad. Which I can't imagine that much electricity. Yeah. Being in the air though. Not you down. Farmers in, Where were they? in Missouri. In Missouri, uh -huh. okay. Yeah. And uh they were New Deal Democrats yeah. all the way. I mean, right. They uh -huh. recognized that FDR saved their lives. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. My yeah. grandfather, one night when we were there, the windows were open and you could smell a skunk. And uh -huh. he said, smells like a Republican to me. Oh. Oh, God. <laughs> well, God. my father was born in 1911 and FDR was the first president. 
that he voted for. It was first opportunity. And, yeah, he was uh, very supportive of President Roosevelt. <laughs> That's right. You so want, uh, you were, want were your grandparents your farming? kids coming here? Yeah, yeah. My and mom, your parents? My mom's. In and out the no. Door. no. Okay. My your mom, but your mother's we were somebody's yeah. his. My mom's, yeah. You boys um, either come out or stay in, but quit slamming the screen door. My dad was in seminary <laughs> at Midwestern. Uh -huh. Okay. And um, so we lived in Polo, Missouri. Polo. <laughs> so we lived in the parsonage and had pastors surrounding us, um, you know. So it, I, it felt like I. So what's the er, Jane? Grew what's up the earliest farm that you remember? My grandparents. Yeah. yeah, that was. What do you remember about it? That it was heaven. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, it was just. Um, we went there for long stays in the summer and at Christmas time, and my grandmother had a huge garden and um, was great cook and so did you, did you she work would in the, did you work in the garden no no how'd you get out of that <laughs> i don't know my mom had uh, her brothers were 10 18 and 20 years older okay. than she and um so she was kind of you know the spoiled youngest and um so it, there was just kind of a sense that you know girls didn't have to help Such on the deal. farm. Such a deal. So, yeah. And I wish I had. I yeah. wish I had learned so much more from my grandmother, but just, you know, didn't really recognize the need yeah. when I was a kid. Yeah. Now, my grandparents, I grew up in a small town where all four grandparents were there. Yeah. They were not on the farm, but they were grew up on the farm, so we were uh, further generation removed. But they all, they both had big gardens, right? And both grandmothers, especially my mother's mother, whom we were closest to, cooked out of that garden all the time, and she, and, uh, she had chickens, white leggers. So, yes, my grandmother would wring a chicken's yeah. neck and have it on the table <laughs> within hours. Fresh. Mm -hmm. So we grew up on that. Having a garden was pretty standard. Mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't unusual. I mean, everybody had a garden. Everybody. My first experience of seeing somebody kill a snake was at my great aunt's house in her chicken yard next to her garden, chicken house, chicken yard, and a chicken snake that swallowed an egg and was trying to get through that chicken wire fence and got stuck because oh, of the swallowed the egg. And couldn't get through. And my, my great aunt, she was white haired. I, you know, I was like four years old, so this would have been 1960, something like that. White haired, she was older than my grandmother. She had to be in her upper 70s. Mm -hmm. Had a what they call cotton sack dress. Mm -hmm. And she reached out and got that chicken snake. Said, "I've been I've been looking for you." <laughs> this is, she said, "This is the end of you." And she popped that snake like a whip. 
And you were and, and popped. Old cow. You better believe it. <laughs> she popped the steak till I mean it killed her. Didn't pop the head all the way off, but it yeah. popped it, broke its neck, and just killed the steak like that. And I thought, man. I'm, if that woman tells me I'm to do something, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to mess with her. Yeah, but, this, but everything was, you know, chickens and eggs and fresh tomatoes and peppers and green beans and black-eyed peas. And corn on the cob. Corn on the cob, right out of the garden. Can't beat it. Fast forward many years, I was in Atlanta in the mid-'80s, Atlanta, Georgia working for the Baptist Peace Fellowship right. of North America. And we lived about two blocks from Oakhurst Baptist Church, and I was single. But we lived in this big two-story house that was uh, sort of an intentional community. Right. And we worked in conjunction with the homeless shelter at Oakhurst Baptist Church. But we it was a corner lot, big old house, and. So we were always working on the house, and there was four or five of us lived there, and then there were three or four homeless men that lived with us. But instead of having a big yard that we mowed, we turned the entire yard into a big garden. Wow. And, you know, didn't spend any time mowing the grass because they tried to minimize that. Right. So, I mean, in that yard, we were growing okra and tomatoes and corn and... Uh, peppers, on and on and on. Uh, and you know, you'd go out and you'd uh, get a get corn off the plant, walk in the house, shuck it, throw it in a pot of boiling water. When the water came back to a boil, you took it out, set out at the table, and put butter on it, pepper salt pepper and ate it so I mean you you would be eating corn off the cob within five minutes wow Fresh, goody, goody. and you know we had a we had a guy who was from Ethiopia lived with us so comparing Ethiopian farming and gardening to uh, American southern yeah it was always fun and right one old guy was a Dirt grew up dirt poor in South Carolina. Learned how to make tomato gravy. It's poor people's food. So you'd take the the fat back or bacon drippings in a skillet, and if if you had grits, then you'd slice up tomatoes in it and fry that up in those bacon drippings. And all of it, the tomatoes and the juice and everything, you'd pour over the grits. I never heard of it. But man, it was good eating. Oh, it was How did that garden change people? Uh, <clears throat> you slowed down and were intentional. Uh, you know, you didn't run down to the grocery store. I mean, we we obviously we didn't raise everything, so sure. you had to go to the store. But a lot of the conversations around the table mm-hmm. were about the things that we had grown. Boy, those are great tomatoes. Right. So you slowed down and paid attention. And even though it only took five minutes to get the corn off the, uh, at, when it was ripe and everything, but still there was an in paying attention to that and it, and not being oblivious to it. Right. Uh, so there was uh, a lot of that 
there was a what Norman Wiersma talks about the connection between thinking and thanking. Mm. And then when you start thinking about this food mm-hmm. that you're eating, you're uh, more grateful for it. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of that because we were thinking about this is the food that we had grown. Yeah. And we, everybody in the house had been working the garden. Yeah. Uh, and so there was this sense of gratitude mm-hmm. uh, that was more, it was, you moved more easily to gratitude because you were, you had worked it and you were thinking about it and talking about it. Yeah sharing it yeah good <clears throat> so i'd say uh, thinking and thanking was important mm-hmm. lots of good stories you don't get as many good stories shopping at the grocery store <laughs> unless you run into somebody in the aisle and they corner you about something but that's sort of a side yeah right and, and like I say, there were a lot of stories, people comparing food. The guy from uh, Ethiopia comparing food he, he grew up on with the guy from South Carolina teaching us. And so uh, you'd eat a, a meal and sometimes, like we learned about tomato gravy. Yeah. And we uh, we learned how to make some Ethiopian stuff. Yeah. He shows that and he took great pride and joy in showing us how to eat Ethiopian. Yeah. And you know it looked strange to us, but we enjoyed it because it was it was about him right. and his family and everything, and other things like that. So <clears throat> lots of storytelling around about food and around food and mm-hmm. and certain recipes that had yeah. stories yeah. and relationships and yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I grew up in this um, family grandparents where the grandmothers were these um, uh, old-timey cooks and uh, so all of the dishes have a story related to them either something that my grandmother learned or something that my grandfather particularly loved or and and conversations about their food Mm -hmm. yeah well Wendell Berry is the most important Mm -hmm. I was pastor of a little local church little country church 1980, my first church, I wasn't even finished with Baylor yet, and I had this little rural church about an hour southeast of Waco, and I was reading everything, it was all new, I mean, I just, um, and Wendell Berry had come across, I saw him in a footnote someplace, Mm. I think I was reading in Seeds magazine, Mm -hmm. the old Seeds. Mm -hmm. Uh, when it was still in it, in, in Oakhurst Baptist Church in Atlanta, I read a footnote, and I got his one of his books. Started reading Wendell, and I still, you know, Wendell Berry is absolutely formative and essential reading about how to be a pastor, much less about food and meals. Most of the time in Wendell's fiction. He writes about meals. He rarely writes about uh, just just food. He, it's a meal, mm-hmm. and a meal in Wendell Berry's fiction is always communal. Right. You always share it with somebody else. So, uh, but Barry Barry taught me about a lot about being a pastor. The the time it takes to care for a garden 
and food and growing and for the land is how you learn to be a pastor. Mm-hmm. I, one of my favorite stories, I was on his front porch, this was about five, six years ago. <clears throat> it was a drought in the southeast. Uh, Kentucky was dry. <clears throat> and I'd gone, I go up, I try to go up and see Wendell and Tanya about once a year. So I'm sitting on his front porch and driving up every uh, farm field and garden was dry looking and brown except his. Hmm. Down below the house was his garden and it was lush and green. So I said, Wendell, how come your garden is so green and looks great? I said, I know you don't irrigate. Uh, and it's down there in bottomland close to the Kentucky River, but he's not bringing in water from the river. And he said, it's the topsoil. Mm-hmm. So he said for uh, 40 years of him working that land and caring for those, uh, caring for the soil, you know, he composts for 40 years and rotates crops and does all of the care and uh that you do for good soil and so he said that uh, when the drought came he said my topsoil right now is probably six eight feet deep but down the down the road their topsoil is maybe a foot foot and a half deep and he said my topsoil retains moisture and uh, is rich and uh, you dig, stick your hand down in there and it's, it's still moist and so he yeah. he had this rich garden. Now for me, and I, we talked about this as being a pastor. Mm-hmm. My job is to grow good topsoil. <laughs> How so? Uh, is to cre- help nurture churches that have a good topsoil. And, and so when the hard times come, and it may be personal, mm-hmm. cancer, death in the family, something terrible, or it may be more social and uh, communal kinds of uh, challenges, climate change, uh, social injustice, uh, disciples put their roots down deep that will help them grow and being Christ-like in the midst of uh, the challenges. So, uh, and, and there's a direct correlation between me being the pastor of a small church in Nacogdoches for 30 years and Wendell being a farmer on a small plot of land for 40 years or mm-hmm. pushing 50 years now mm-hmm. in Kentucky. Uh, I'd like to be able to be the same kind of farmer or mm-hmm. pastor. Yeah. Now, Wendell Berry's the most important. Norman Wierspa's important. Uh, Ellen Davis, mm-hmm. yeah. the Old Testament uh, professor at Duke Divinity School. Uh, her book on uh, scripture, scripture and, and agriculture. Ag- yeah, and agriculture. We, the, short ter- the shorthand version of that book is called, uh, we all call it, uh, Wendell Berry in the Bible. Because <laughs> that's what it's about. It's about Wendell Berry in the Bible. In the Bible. Right. <laughs> So, uh, Ellen, uh, let me, th- you know, I, 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 I uh, you know, Gene Logston and uh-huh. uh, 
about half. Um, Wes Jackson and lots of the other folks like that. So those are all important. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> and I, there's always somebody else. Uh, more and more, though, what I'm reading these days is uh, I read a whole lot in theology and climate change. Mm -hmm. What are you reading? You mentioned um... Carolyn Merchant mm -hmm. and your professor, Dr. Carol Keller. Mm -hmm. um, there's a British, I think he's Brit, maybe Scott, theologian named Michael Northcott mm -hmm. that's excellent. He's probably my favorite. Mm -hmm. There's another British guy named Timothy Gorringe. I, I guess is how you pronounce his name, G-O-R-R-I-N-G-E. They both have written pretty good books on um, theology and uh, climate change. Um, and I, and I, if I if I thought about it, there'd be some others, but uh, and you know, and the, the two things about that, and then there's people like Bill McKibben and so on, but both in, in trying to help uh, stave off and help us learn to live in a Christ-like way with the earth and help, hopefully, uh, oh, live in such a way that the, our, our the effects of climate change won't be as uh, dramatic. But at the same time, learn how to live in the midst of great change. Mm -hmm. And and all of these writers, Northcott, Garange, um, McKibben, and, and they're saying the same thing that in some ways uh, back in the 80s and early 90s, um, Alasdair McIntyre talked about in his book After Virtue about a new Benedict and uh, Stanley Hauerwas and Will Willimon wrote Resident Alien. Is that the church has to be more intentional and disciplined about being a community of faith where you are very intentional about paying attention to one another, nurturing one another, and also learning how to uh, support one another through hard times. Then, uh, And then this kind of ripple effect as that kind of community is a witness in a wider community, in our case, the local community of Nacogdoches, mm -hmm. in helping do things like uh, uh, we are uh, very, we're not solely responsible, but very much responsible, Austin Heights Baptist Church, with getting the farmer's market started in Nacogdoches. And it's been 15 years. But we had key people in the, in the conversation about getting the farmer's market. There are gardens all over town at the in some of the elementary schools and middle schools. Senior center. In the senior center that church members have put these gardens in and garden with uh, people at the, either the senior center or these school kids, these elementary kids 
who come out and they are just overwhelmed and overjoyed about digging in the dirt (laughs) and looking at earthworms and getting food out of the gardens and so we've been involved in that. Um, we, we've done a, a partnership with the university, Stephen F. Austin University. We had a panel discussion last year, year and a half ago, uh, on uh, food deserts mm-hmm. in Nacogdoches. Yeah. Uh, and the uh, food insecurity in Nacogdoches County and what are ways we can address that. We also are vol- volunteer heavily with one of the primary uh, food pantries in town that has a, it's both a pantry and it also has started a feeding program. And uh, they've also gotten a new grant it's called HOPE. Mm. <laughs> We're very involved with that. So what are some models that, that you think are helpful in, in addressing that food insecurity? Well, one of the things, you know, in the, the, this, these food deserts, you know, there are parts of town where there's not anywhere you can buy any groceries. Right. And the nearest thing you can buy, you have to go, even then, pretty good ways to go to a convenience store. And the convenience store, you know, is going to have maybe some uh, bologna or something, and then lots of chips and right. that kind of basic right. stuff. Right. But there's bean no. Bean dip might be the only vegetable. Bean dip might be the only vegetable. That's right. So, um, so how how you know how can because some of the uh, people uh, in this part of town, the senior the seniors in this, these parts of town, they know about gardening. Sure. Right. They grew up gardening. So how can we help encourage that? Working alongside, if we can. Helping other churches do that um, is one of the questions. Um, how can we uh, make the farmer's market more accessible? Mm-hmm. Now, it's pretty centrally located in town. It's yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and it takes snap. It does. It does. It does. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What's involved in getting a, uh, getting a farmer's market to take snap? Because ours in our in Van Austin doesn't yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't tell you. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Could, but that's but we that's could a, refer them to Buckley though. Yeah, we, we, we can tell you. We can put you in touch with him. Right. Um. But yeah, the access the accessibility and affordability well, of healthy there, food. So there, yeah, so there's trans, transportation issues related to this. Right. Uh, all of these things are related. Mm-hmm. But uh, the overall the overall issue. For us on this theme is how do we help build, nurture, yeah. grow Nacogdoches as a better community? Uh-huh. And some of that has to do with local food economy uh, and food sources, and some of that has to do with dealing with issues of racism and uh, mm-hmm. some of the poverty issues. But I mean, they're all related. Right. And. You know, the, one of the best experiences we ever had being the church. Years ago, what, 15 years ago? Rita, Hurricane Rita. Mm-hmm. So it was about a month after Katrina. And we caught the edge of yeah. Katrina, just the edge, mm-hmm. rain. Then Rita came through, and we 
he came through a lot closer. Right. And so power was out all over town, and the trees were down everywhere, and uh, so there were, and, there, and because of Katrina fears uh, in Houston, Houston had a mass exodus of people that left. So the population of Nacogdoches the week after Rita went from 30,000 to 45,000. Wow. Really? And so we were in the, they had uh, mm. all of the, everybody that had a space, gymnasium, churches, everything had uh, people from Houston, mm -hmm. the Gulf Coast area. And we even had, we had about six or eight people in our church building. Mm -hmm. And we do not have the facilities. We don't have any showers, or yeah. we don't have a gym, it's just our building. Mm -hmm. But we we were putting people in Sunday school rooms, and so anyway. Mm -hmm. But then you had power out all over town, but our building had power. Mm -hmm. So lots of church people also moved into the church that week. Mm. Okay. So we had wow. like 30 to 40 <laughs> people spending the night. During the day, we might have almost 60 people in and out. Wow. And then because everybody's power was out, all of their refrigerators and freezers. Mm. So they started. All the food. Uh, yeah. Everybody brought their food. Brought to the their church. food to the church. Uh -huh. So we're so we had so we started cooking. Going on. So during the day, we had church members that would go out. His dad, Michael's dad, Steve Chisholm, and others would do work groups, chainsaws, uh -huh. helping volunteer around town. Yeah. We had other people that would go out and volunteer in the other um, uh, shelters in town. Right. Where there was considerable need. Uh -huh. Then we had other people who would uh, stay at the church with the children and play games and uh -huh. do child care uh -huh. and, and so on. And then in the evening, a bunch of people would get together and cook massive meals. Because uh -huh. you had all this, I mean, we, we're not talking like uh, hamburger meat, we're talking, remember somebody brought speckled trout. <laughs> and uh, chicken corn yeah, blue. Chicken right, corn right, right. Right. What freezer. you've been saving for a special yeah. occasion. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we had all of this food, and then, how, and then after a while, we started having people like the Department of Public Safety Highway Patrol would show up. We had six or seven or eight of them, they said, man, we heard y'all. They heard the food. Right. <laughs> They would start coming in. Is that right? Yeah, and so for about a week. It sounds like communion. This was. The best meal in town. This was <laughs> being the church. Right. Wow. Uh, and then toward the end of the week, people uh, that were from Houston and the Gulf Coast started going back down to their homes. The lines of people at the gas stations had been 20 people at a pump with limitations armed security on the premises and all this stuff, mm. down to two or three cars per pump, Yeah. Uh, and, and there weren't any limitations on the fuel. Well, I was about out of fuel at that point, so I went to a gas station, and there was a, a big, giant pickup in front of me, big one-ton uh, dual rear end He's going to take all the gas. And they got an assault rifle on the... Oh, God. I don't know. I don't know. And he gets out, and in the back of his pickup, he's got... Two 55-gallon drums, plus he has a bunch of, I can see the tops of gas cans. Gas cans, uh-huh. Uh, plus, on that pickup, there are two 22-gallon tanks just for the fuel for the, for the truck. truck. Yeah. His wife gets out on the other side, and they both have pistols on Oh, gosh. And she has her hand on her hip, and she stands there and watches and keeps guard while he fills up all of those gas cans. Two 55-gallon drums, uh -huh. plus all of the other gas. Uh -huh. uh, 
and she was prepared to shoot if she needed to, I think. Yeah. My interpretation. Sure. Because what I did was I thought, you know, I don't need gas right now. <laughs> <laughs> I backed up and, and went somewhere else. So, but, you know, the dedicate, the dedicate says, the first line of the dedicate says there are two ways. Uh, there are two ways. There's the way of life, and there's the way of death. Mm. And I think that week, that day, I was a witness to the two ways. Now, uh, there was the way of life, people in community, sharing, sharing food mm-hmm. uh, on one hand, and then these people who said, felt like they were on their own, and it was us again, them against the rest of the world, oh, yeah. and they were prepared to use violence. Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, what we want to do is be the kind of church that helps grow that life, uh, that shared life, uh, best we can. So, you don't often get a real clear picture of what you're about, what you want to be about. But that week, we got a clear picture of what we want to be about. Wow. And you know, there are yeah. people in the church that knew about and know about canning. Mm-hmm. So you you know you you keep food in other ways besides just the freezer. Uh-huh. You know they uh, canning food and, well, sure. and stuff like that, and, 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 and you learn from those. People. It's not a it's not an art that is, is that we're that far removed from. Right, right. wasn't that yeah. long ago. I'll pick yeah. up to everybody everybody can. Right, yeah. And you didn't have to have a freezer, a refrigerator. Right, you put it down in, in, in yeah. the closet. Where it's have y'all seen the novel? Um, and I'm blanking on the name of the author. Came out about two years ago called When the English Fall. David somebody. David somebody. He's a Presbyterian minister in Maryland, but he grew up Amish. Do you know? And anyway, this guy, this guy he grew up in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. But the English being the term that the Amish use for non Amish. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. And so this novel is about that because of some kind of solar flare or solar storm, electricity is knocked out like all over the world. And so how are people going to survive? And so the Amish, by... See, I'll send it home. Okay. All right. The sickness we bug will. or the flu-ness or whatever it is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Which shall not be named. Bug. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, so, um, now I forgot what I was talking about. When the English David. Oh, yeah. So is, uh, the, the Amish are the only people that know how to raise gardens and can and and have food mm-hmm. and so how do they deal with that with all these people coming out and some of it is how do they come, how how do they live with some danger because uh, not everybody is comes and asks with open hands can you feed me right some are stealing and using guns and sure. anyway it's a it's a it's a fine little novel it's mm-hmm. not a it's not the deepest thing but it's a good novel it's good yeah but when the english fall so there were there other churches uh, championing the farmers market idea 
Uh, or we just not awesome really. Time. Not churches. Okay. Not then, but they, I mean, they are now. Yeah. But and that, 15 years ago. Was it mainly your? I know you've got a uh, very involved Earth Ministry at Austin Heights, or at least is that still? Are they still right. active? Yeah, our emphasis these days is not as much on uh, food issues as it is on uh, trying to lower our carbon footprint. Mm-hmm. What are the ways we can do that? Yeah. But yeah, uh, we, they were, we were we were doing we do things like we haven't done this in a while, but we had a really good success showing films. Mm-hmm. And we used to show them in partnership with Stephen F. Austin University. Mm-hmm. <coughs> but they would be films on uh, food and agriculture, sustainability. Yeah. And we, uh, the first film we showed that really overwhelmed us with the numbers of people that came out is we showed the original when it came out, An Inconvenient Truth, mm-hmm. uh, Al Gore. Yeah. Man, that was, uh, <coughs> we had people, we had, we showed it twice at the university, and then we showed it once at the church. Uh, and there was, and it's part of it, it was not being shown anywhere else between Dallas, Houston, and Shreveport. So we were in. Wow. And we probably had, we probably showed the movie to five, six hundred people. Wow. Total. What year was that? Well, what year did it come Truth come out? So the same year as releasing theaters, basically? Uh-huh. What was it? What was it, 15 years ago, something like that? More than that. Maybe 20. 20? Yeah. yeah. That's what I was and we showed other movies, some more successful than others, but one that was a pretty good movie, and we had a lot of con- uh, conversation about it. Was, uh, uh, foodie. Fooding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was well received. Although it was also, yeah, that was downtown. Yeah, that was downtown. At the Art Center. At the Art Center. But, and we had some controversies. There were some sort of industrial food types. Sure. Took issue with all of that, but, mm. but that's okay. The university. Really. But we had good conversation, and mm-hmm. uh, we had lots of students coming to see those movies. Right, right. Now, we, sort of what happened about, the, we were doing all that food emphasis, <laughs> and we were learning about other things, too, including climate change and all that but about that time we showed our first movie about climate change and we had some um, activists young activists from north of here uh, who were opposing the trans canada keystone xl pipeline so they came and came to the movie and then we invited them to church and one thing led to another and for the next two and a half years or so we we had large numbers of young activists in church every Sunday sometimes you know seven or eight or ten but mm-hmm. other times we might have 30 yeah. uh, opposing the pipeline yeah. they were in church they camped in a, on a farm that somebody gave them permission uh, outside of town but on Sunday mornings 
uh, a Muslim young man to get everybody out of bed. He was from MIT. He got everybody out of bed. Says we're going to church. And I asked him one time. I said, I said, how? I said, here you are. And he was devout in his faith. I said, you as a Muslim. Uh, coming to a Baptist church in East Texas, he says it's the most spiritual place I can find. Wow, mm. is that right? So, it, and oh, so and we the had. First time we met him, uh -huh. he told us about his call to uh -huh. this work, and he sounded exactly like a kid from the BSU. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was the it's same, just, the same yeah, language. Same language right. of, yeah. of, you know, he heard God's call in his life and caring for the environment. He was. Uh, but there were others. I mean, we had kids in church on Sunday, young people who were Buddhist and Muslim and atheist and everything else on the Sunday. And lots of them had been raised, or many had been raised in the church. And they were from all over the country. But they hadn't been in church in 15 years and saw the church uh, as part of the problem. Mm -hmm. And so they would come and, and uh, sit, and this was incredible. I'd be in the pulpit preaching, and they'd be sitting on the edge of their seat, leaning forward. Like, you don't man. see that very often. No, and they're leaning <laughs> forward, and they're like, ooh, what happens next? And right. we've never heard this before, and we right. didn't know this, and we didn't know that, and then they want to talk. Then we also started having soup and salad every day, every Sunday after church. So we'd make some people in the church and make big pots of soup, and then we'd bring bread and salads. And so whoever wanted to would stay. And so you'd have these 20 or 30 young people, and then you have another 20 or 30 uh, church members yeah. every Sunday. Wow. So that was another one of those moments of great community, sure. but dialogue, learning from one another. They, mm -hmm. These young people learned a lot about community. Mm -hmm. We learned about taking risk mm -hmm. and... Uh, so many of them were so smart. Yeah. So yeah. their questions weren't yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. easy questions. Right. Yeah, I mean, they were just we, great yeah. fun to engage yeah. with them. Uh, MIT graduates, Berkeley, Harvard, University of Wisconsin, NYU, uh, University of North Texas, University of Texas, but other schools around the country. Um, environmental science majors and uh, biology majors and so mm -hmm. on but they all they either hitchhiked rode buses uh hoboed on trains right. uh <laughs> to 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 get to Nacogdoches wow. yeah. uh one guy his nickname was feet because he was always barefooted on purpose he never wore shoes huh. and his soles of his feet were thicker than most boot soles. Right. <laughs> but when he came to church, he would always wear sandals as ah. a sign of respect. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we had, I mean, there's a million of what these What a cultures. wonderful experience but, for your congregation. So again, really for us was. to all learn about uh, caring about the earth in ways that was a little more active and not just passive. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, we don't want to use styrofoam. We understand that. But sometimes there's some things that you've got to make a stand on. Mm -hmm.